The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So we've been doing our uh, Deep and Wide series, little mini-series, and uh, this is our last week of that. Dale mentioned uh, next week we're going to be kicking back into uh, Ephesians. And we just wanted to take a pause the beginning of the school year as like kind of life resets then to talk about, you know, the, the, what is the goal? What is the goal with us as a church? But, but maybe even more importantly, because it starts there, what is your goal as a person, as a believer, as if you are a believer today, as a follower of Jesus Christ? What is your goal? What, what, kinda, what do you want your life to look like? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that question? Like, I think a lot of us get caught up in doing life. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of going on. There's a lot of busyness going on, but we never stop and ask the question, what do I want my life to look like five years from now? We talked about that in the Manhood Restored uh, Bible study over the summer, the two, the second before the last meeting. Like, what, what is your vision? What do you want your life to look like? If you don't have any idea, then you kind of end up five years down the road and you just, you know, you wonder where did the time go? If you don't have a plan for your finances, you don't have a plan for your job or your career or your family, your kids, like how much vacation time do you want to have, what kind of car do you want to drive, where do you want to live, then five years pass. Like, I'm 35, and man, it passes, it's passed fast. Like, I can't believe how, how fast it goes. You just end up kind of anywhere. And so as a believer, what do you want your life to look like five years from now? What do you want your life to look like 10 years from now? And the point that we've been trying to make, that we've been trying to, to hit home, is that we want our lives to look like that tree that's in Psalm 1. In fact, let's, let's go over there, let's jump over there and look at, at Psalm 1, just so we can frame again as we, as we end this deal, what is the goal? What do we want to look like? What, are, what, is, what is the deal? What are we aiming for? And... Uh, in verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So there's a clue, that we, as we talked about last week, how, do we, how, does, how does that growth happen? So he's given us a clue there. Verse 3, what is he like? This is the goal. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Remember I told you guys about the two pear trees in, the back, in my backyard growing up. There's the gnarly, ugly-looking pear tree, but without fail, year after year, it threw out some pears, man. It popped them out all over the tree. At the beginning of the season, we're like, wow, this is awesome. They're pears. Like, even though we weren't like big pear fans, to be honest, it was still pretty cool to be able to walk like three steps out your back door and grab pears. Then all of a sudden, like, they just all kind of ripen all at the same time. They fell off the tree. They're rotting all over the place. There's wasps and bees flying around, but its counterpart on the other side of the backyard was a beautiful pear tree. It's shapely. It looked like a pear tree supposed to look. It had nice looking leaves. It was, it was every, it was beautiful. It never, ever, I don't ever, ever remember it having a harvest. It, it, it would bloom in weird times of the year. It would pop out little baby pears like in the middle of the winter, and then they would all die. It was, it was, it was a beautiful tree, but it never yielded its fruit in its season. And a lot of us as Christians are sort of like that. 
Like, we have a good look from the outside. We, we kind of know what it means to look like a Christian. We've been around church long enough that we know, here's what you say, and here's what you don't say, and here's, you know, when the song's playing, this is, you look just earnest enough so that if somebody around you looks at you, they're like, oh, this person is spiritual, but not too spiritual that you weird anybody out, or, you know, you, you have the, the right things that you say when you get to church, no matter what kind of week you're having, the sort of the plastic smile, and how's everything going, it's going fine. And, and you, know, we, you know how to play the role. And a lot of times we don't even mean to. We don't mean to be fakes. But it's just we've learned the rules and we know what you're supposed to look like. But we talked about how that's really like pasted fruit. That you have, like you go to one of those stores that my wife likes to go to, Michael's or whatever the other one's called where they sell all kinds of craft stuff. And you can buy the fake fruit from that store, and you can paste it onto the tree, you can duct tape it, scotch tape it, super glue, hot glue. My mom was a, the fastest hot glue gun in the West. She's a craft person. I hate craft. She's a, she loves to sew. It just drives me crazy, and everything was hot glue. I don't know if it was just our house or if it was a fad in the 80s and early 90s. Everything was hot glue. She had, so she had them like in a holster on each side. I pulled them out. She'd hot glue anything. You can hot glue the fruit onto the end of the branch, but eventually... It's going to be shown to be not real. And we want to be the kind of people who bear fruit in the right season, who, who have deep roots that are planted by the streams of living water that, have, that are both deep and wide. We talked about how some people, some churches, some people take on that, churches take on the same personality. They're deep. They're always studying. They're always, they know the right answer. They can quote Psalm 1 backwards and forwards. They can know the order the books of the Bible. They can quote scripture to you. They know the deal. They've been, they're there every week without fail. There's 10 classes a week. They're in eight Bible studies. You're like, how do you do all this stuff? They're always getting deep, but their lives are never growing wider. They're not ever actually bearing fruit. They're growing deep roots, but the tree itself is dying. But then some people, some churches take on the same personality. They grow wide. They have really wide branches. They're doing a lot of stuff. They're out doing a lot of things. But the problem is when the, when the wind comes, when the rain comes, when the hurricane comes, it knocks the tree over because it doesn't have sufficient enough root system to dig down. Or the drought comes, and it doesn't have Roots that go deep enough to draw the water out of the, t- of the, of the, from under the ground and, and stay healthy, stay living. That's the way we want to be. We want to be that kind of tree that's planted by the streams of living water that bears fruit in its season. So we talked about that. That was the goal. Then we talked about how does that happen. We talked about abiding. So it gets kind of confusing in all these like agricultural pictures because in one story we're a tree, the next story we're a branch. That's like in the tree, and then in this story, we're something all together. In fact, this story that we're going to be sharing today, we're two things in the story. We're the ground, and we're also the person that's planting. So it, gets, it can get very confusing, but just stick with me that you're a, there are a branch that's in the tree. So how do we grow as believers? Is it by effort? Is it by discipline? Is it by you gritting your teeth? Is it by you getting, uh, getting better at reading your Bible more every day or praying more every day or sharing your faith or being at church. I want you to do all those things, but is that the way that you grow? We talked about how you don't grow by discipline, you grow by abiding. You grow the same way you become a believer, through repentance and faith. And so as Christians, we live lives that are constantly going through the cycle of repentance and faith. Realizing things that I have accepted, lies that I have bought into, that something else is more satisfying than Jesus Christ. 
So as silly as it may sound, I am a, I'm a sports fan. I love football. In case you haven't noticed, I love football. Half of my analogies are about football. The other half are about food. I happen to love both of those things. Maybe not equally, but I love them both. And so uh, this time of year, it sounds really geeky to say out loud, but I really get into fantasy football. Anybody play fantasy football? You don't have to raise your hand. You might be a sports geek. Maybe you're not, but you play fantasy football. In case you don't know what it is, you draft players that are real, but you don't really own them, and then they play each other for real, and then, but you have them on your team, and you play against somebody else. And guys get really into it. Not all guys. Uh, Dale doesn't. But some, some guys get really into it, and I do. Like, I love to, like, read up about these players, and I love to, like, figure out my strategy about the draft and like who am I going to set up and then through the year I'm like figuring out how to make trades and move players around and do all kinds of things because I just I, I, love, I love the strategy and sports like combined together but I'll be honest with you like that as silly as stupid as that sounds there's a lie that comes to me every year this time of year that says fantasy football football in general Clemson football is more interesting more fascinating, more fulfilling than Jesus. And I spend more time in that than I, ha- than than I should. But we all buy those lies about big things and about small things. Some of them are obviously sinful. You know there are things in your life, lies that you buy, in, buy into, saying that this is more fulfilling, this is more exciting, this is more uh, everything than Jesus is to me. But you buy into that lie, I guarantee you. But some of it is more insidious and sneaky. Some of you, it is church. Some of you, it's volunteering and being a part of church or volunteering in an organization or teaching a class or uh, volunteering at your soup kitchen or whatever it is that you do that, that you, or the things that you don't do, you take great pride. I, I don't, you look around you at your neighborhood and at your work and, oh, I don't do what she does or I don't do what he does, I don't do what she does, and you find pleasure in being the good guy. But both of those things, whether religion or irreligion, are, are sneaky lies that are trying to steal you away from abiding in Christ and realizing that he is the only one who's fulfilling. He's the only one that's beautiful, whose beauty is lasting and never fades. If you're a Clemson fan, when rank number four, we're rank number four. They're rank number four. See how my identity is wrapped up in them? I caught myself doing it. Dale was talking the other day. We were in Charlotte. He's like, oh, we play this and we play that. I'm like, we play them. Are you on the team now? I, I missed that memo. But, you know, I, I didn't even see you play the other day. But, uh, but we get caught up. We get wrapped up in this. So, uh, but we're rank number four. That is a fickle identity because that is going to change. That's going to fall. Whatever it is that you're placing your identity, that you're placing your fulfillment in, your joy in, it will not last. It will let you down. There's only one, one who will always be there, who will always fill you with joy, who will always be beautiful and more beautiful than the last time that you were with him. And the way that we abide in him is to repent of believing the lies that would, call, that would that say that's beauty and joy and fulfillment is found outside of him and repenting and putting my faith in him that he is the one. And the way that we constantly abide in him is by constantly doing that. You do that in the morning when you wake up. You do that throughout the day. You have people around you in your life that call you out whenever you're missing it and you don't even notice. Have you ever noticed, like, whether it's in a relationship or in a marriage or, like, 
you don't even notice when you're in a funk, and then somebody around you says, hey, what's up with you? You're, like, off today. Are you off this week? You're, like, you, you're, you're really snappy at the kids, or you're really even snapping at me. Like, what's up with that? You're like, nothing's wrong. You're like, yeah, yeah, you are like this. And then you, you stop, and you're like, you realize, maybe if you have a, a bit of truthful, a truthful moment with yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, I have been kind of snappy with the kids. But you didn't even notice it. You didn't even know it. You need people around you in your life who will help you with that, who will be mirrors to your soul when you can't see it yourself. And that's why it is so very important that you live in deep Christian community with other believers. That's why it's one of the four banners that are up here, not because we just want to hide Hudson or hide the mats over there, like everybody knows he's over there, everybody knows what's going on here. They're, they're up there because they're so important that you live in community with people who know you and who love you and who know when you're off. It's, pe- it's not just about being at another meeting a week and going to community group. It's about being in close enough relationship that when things are off, they know it. Whenever you don't even realize it, they know it, and they're able to call you out. One of the biggest blessings for me so far in planning this church is having Justin and Dale that I meet with once a week. And we talk about docs and stuff, but we talk about personal stuff. And then we get here on Sunday mornings, we're asking how you went. And we're out around town, and we're struggling, something's going on. You get a text, hey, hey guys, watch out for me. Or you, even, you don't even send it out, they send you a text, hey, how's it going? What's going on over there? It's people who are around me who know me well enough they can see it in the way my eyes look that morning when I show up here or when I show up to breakfast with them or I see them around. Hey, what's going on? Tell me about that. And if you want to be a person whose life is both deep and wide, who's lasting, who five years from now, ten years from now, your relationship with Jesus is flourishing and growing, that's deeper and wider, that you're bearing fruit for his glory. Because remember in John when we talked about the, the branch abiding the vine, the point was that you bear fruit. Jesus says, this is why I want you to abide in me, that you bear much fruit, and therefore the Father will be glorified. So the glory of the Father himself rests upon you and me bearing fruit for his glory. That's why it's so important. It's not because I want to keep you in line. I want you to like be in group and so we can check off a mark. It's because his glory rests upon, amazingly enough, you and I abiding in him and bearing fruit for his glory so that people see us and they say, that's a life that has been changed. And the only way to explain it is not because Dale is awesome, not because Rachel has her stuff together, but because they are abiding in Jesus Christ and his life cannot help but to escape to shine, to burst forth out of their life. It cannot help but to shine out. Let's look at today's uh, verse, today's uh, passage, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read this two sections, and then we'll give you some, some thoughts on it as we wrap up this series. Verse 1 of Matthew 13. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great, gra- and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, and now we're into the meat of the deal, a sower went out to sow. So that's not, you know, for us, a, don't, well, we'll go back. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. 
And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. By the way, I've said it before, but following Jesus would have been maddening. It still is today, but it would have been maddening because he, he never does what you expect him to do. He's, he has a huge crowd. He gets up and he tells them a bunch of stories and he doesn't explain the stories. So it's like cool stuff. Like, okay, I can understand what you're saying because these people were lived in an agrarian society. So they're like, they're tracking with a guy who's planting seed, but he just kind of leaves it at that. Then wraps, you know, maybe tell, he says he's told many stories. I don't know. Maybe he told 10, 20, 30 stories and said, all right, you're, you're dismissed. Leave. That would, have been, that would have been maddening. And then whenever he's with his disciples later on, he explains the parable to them. Verse 18. He then, uh, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and another thirty. Let me pray real quick. Father, I pray that you would open up your word this morning, uh, that as we uh, just try to unpack this uh, section, that you would um, it was to our hearts, that it wouldn't be a guilt thing, it wouldn't be, um, that we wouldn't leave here with a sense of obligation, but that we would leave here buoyed and excited to follow your path as, um, as sower of seeds, as planters of seeds. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we've been talking, we said that we're a tree. And then in the other analogy of the vine and the branches, the past two weeks, we're a branch that's in the tree. And now in this story, you'll find yourself in two places in the story. You're, you're the ground, but then hopefully also you're the sower. And we're going to talk about that. The whole point that we want to hit on as we finish this, these four weeks is that we, as we, want, we are plants, we want to have deep roots, we want to spread our branches wide, but we want to be plants who plant. We want to be plants who then plant. Because if you think about it, that's, that's really what plants do. Right? The plants grow fruit, and they don't just grow them you know, just so you and I can go and eat the pears. They grow them so that what can happen? Another tree, another plant can, can come up because the seed is in the fruit. So we want to be a kind of plant that plants. So let's look at the story. Uh, look, at, look, at, look at these uh, four, pieces of, four pieces of ground, four types of soil, and we're going to try to um, unpack it a little bit. Um, so with, first of all, he said a sower went out to sow. So he's, the, of course, it's not like a, a seamstress or something. It's, it's a planter who went out to sow. So again, this would be something that would be very familiar with. They lived in an agrarian society. Almost everybody had a farm. Almost everybody planted. Almost everybody farmed. And so it would be like super duper common. It would be like in the south, using a football analogy. It would be like uh, in the north, uh, you know, I don't know, 
using baseball or something. I can't think of something that would be more boring than that, but using some type of baseball analogy. Uh, you know, if you're out, out west using movies, I, I, I don't know. If, if you're, I, I don't know what you would use. If Charles, he would be about music, you'd, you know, whatever it is that you're into. It would be something that would be super familiar, but it would be something that everybody in the crowd would be familiar with. And so he said that the sower went out to sow. So, and then the first place he came along, so that the sower would have, he'd have a, a, a leather bag wrapped around him, and he'd have the seed in the bag. And the day before, or sometime before, he would have come out, and he would have tilled up the soil. I grew up in this, again, in the country, in the south. My granddaddy had what he called a garden. We would call a field. Uh, for real, I don't understand. He, he lived alone. He had this huge, huge garden, uh, like, you think a garden's like, I don't know, something you'll cute in your backyard, like a container, a few tomato bushes. And like he had, he had, feel, he had rows and rows of corn and beans, which were the worst things in the world, uh, tomatoes, what, like everything, watermelon, like rows and rows of this stuff. And we would have to go out and help him. And so we'd get on the, on the, on the tractor before you're going to plant, and he would, he would, you know, this old, brown, rusty up tractor, you're like, does this thing even work? And then he, he would tell you how to work it, and you would, you, would, you would cut out a row all the way down the line, then you'd turn around, you'd come back, and you'd go back and forth, you cut these lines. So you till up the soil. And so it did a couple of things. One is it loosened up the soil, be hard and kind of packed in together. In fact, um, it, it was kind of ever had a dirt clod? You ever played with them before? Like, you could, it would be almost like rocks, uh, I don't know, maybe you guys didn't grow up in the, in the country. They'd be like dirt clods. I don't know if, it's like a, it's a hard piece of, of dirt that's kind of dried up together, and we would get out, and, and whenever he wasn't looking, we would have dirt clod fights, and we'd throw them at each other across the way, except this may be the last time we actually had one. One day, he was bent over, and uh, my buddy, he threw one. He missed where he was aiming altogether and hit my granddad in the lower back as he was bent over, and uh, he said some words that he didn't usually say around us as he got up, and the, the dirt glide fight was over. But that's why you would, you would have to tilt the soil, because the soil was ground, it was hard, it was caked, it was baked. So you had to come through, till it up nice and deep. So you would loosen up the, loosen up the soil, and it would also make like a, a mound all the way down. And, that's, and then it would have a kind of a, you know, like a ditch in between each mound. A mound and a ditch, mound and a ditch, mound and a ditch. There were rows all the way down. And so the row that was up high, you would go through and then you would plant. And he would go through and he would have a stick. Usually depends on what we were planting. He'd have a stick and he would, do, he would punch a hole in the ground. He had the easy job, punching a hole. The kids would come behind him. I didn't realize that we had the hard work at the time, but we would be bent over and he would say, put three seeds in each hole. So we'd follow behind him, put three seeds in each hole. That's how we sow. But now, and at this time, it was a little bit different. He would go out, the sower, he'd have his bag, and he'd have it filled with seed, and he would take a handful of seeds, and he would know how, just how to do it. He would spread the seed on the ground. He would spread the seed on the ground all the way down. And so he gives the picture of the sower, the, the planter, the farmer is out, he's planting the, he's planting the seed, planting the seed planting the seed. And as, it, as he goes, as he's planting it, it falls on the part that he's aiming at, but it also falls other places. 
or there's other parts in the garden that aren't as healthy as other parts. So the first place it lands is it lands on the path. So uh, they lived in an agrarian society. Again, they didn't have super highways that were connected and everything. There were a lot of fields all over the place. And so people would cut through fields because it was just them and their, their animal, their you know, burrow or whatever they were on. And they, they would mosey on through. They would have paths through the middle of of these fields or around the, the sides of the fields so that you could get to where you're going. You could, uh, you know, instead of like, we think about it, I would leave my property, go to the road, go along the road, and then go to wherever I'm going. No, they're just like, I'm going over there, so we're going to cut through, and there would be a path that would be cut along through other people's land. And as he's going, as he's spreading the seed, some of it falls along the path. Well, it's Middle Eastern soil. It hasn't been tilled up. So what is it? It's hard. Remember, you got, I don't know if you guys remember, I told you guys about my, the, uh, the house that I used to, used to live in, that uh, one day I decided I was going to try to edge it myself along the driveway. I had a manual edger. It's like a, just a straight spade. And I went there, boom, hit it one time, and it was like hitting concrete. It's like, but it'd be like that from the very top. There wasn't even a, a top layer, layer of, you can, I mean, I don't know, I mean, it looks ridiculous. Probably shouldn't even do that. But it, you know, it, and it was, but it was right there on the top. It was like concrete. So the seed lands on the concrete path. It's kind of like concrete, beat down, and it's just laying there on the top. It can't sink in. Has nowhere to hide. And the birds are like, they're like, you know, you go to the beach, you eat like a sandwich, and you got the, the birds. All of a sudden, they're like, ah, he's got a sandwich. Everybody, come on! And then, ah, come on! And they're like circling your head and like dive bombing. There's like poops coming and they're, they, 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 they land around you and they're kind of eyeing you. And it depends on what, you know, or if you're at a park and it's really scary because the crows, because you look in a crow's eye. You ever look in a crow's eye? Like it's like intelligence looking back at you, like kind of scary. Like I think you could unlock my door if you found where, where I live. Like, like they just kind of, there's some intelligence coming out of those eyes and they're, they got the kind of weird kind of way they do their heads like this. And you're like, that doesn't seem natural. And you're, they're eyeing you. They're like, wait, you know, are you going to drop something? Are you, uh, are, are you, are you going to feed me? Like, what's going on here? Are you going to, you got something coming my way? Like, I, and, and then if you ever drop anything, that's like, ah, ah, all come in together and all like kill each other trying to do it. Or like the, the fish at, uh, at Broadway, the beach, you ever seen the koi? Like the, the, the you, you throw something in the water, they're like, oh, like, ah, it's like, anyway, they don't make any sound. They're like, ah, swim, swim, swim to this place. Uh, anyway. You drop a seed on the path. I digress. You drop a seed on the path, all the birds are all around watching. That's why you have to put up scarecrows, right, to keep the birds away so they don't eat the seed, they don't eat, tear up the plants. So you, you, they, you throw the grain, and then while the, when the, the farmer, his planter, his, his head is turned, they're like all in like, oh! They're coming all flying in together like the birds movie, like they're all coming in. They're pecking up the seed, just gone. It doesn't have a chance to germinate. The ground is hard. It has nowhere to hide, and there are birds that are waiting. They're just waiting around the corner. They're waiting upon the, well, they didn't have electric wire, but they're waiting on something in the trees all around. They're, they're around the corner. They're eyeing you. They're giving you the crazy, the crazy look. As soon as you drop it, your head is turned. They're in. They're eating up the seed. That's the first ground that he plants, that, he, that the seed falls on. So the first question is, as we're going to go through thinking about us being the ground, is, is that what you're like? The seed falls, you hear the word, whether maybe at church or maybe in a community group or maybe somewhere else, and then you leave and it's gone. 
Because here's the, here's the truth about each one of these types of ground that we're going to go through. There is, an act, there, there, is, there is an enemy set to make sure that the seed does not germinate and grow and produce a harvest. Everything is set against the seed germinating and growing to a harvest. And so something happens every time you hear the word of God. Well, there's somebody like me who's just giving it a, a swing or somebody who's really good at it. You, you're, or you're sitting down with somebody, you're reading the Bible by yourself. Whatever setting that you're in, you're in the car, listening to the radio, whatever setting you're in, when you hear the word, there is immediately an action that happens. And if the seed lands on ground that is hard and packed, it cannot find a place to hide, then the enemy comes in and he steals it away. And so you're left, you're fine. You're not thinking about it, you're not dealing with it, you heard it, but immediately it's gone. That's the seed that's planted or that falls along the path. So he's going through, he's picking up the seed out of his pack, he's casting it. The next piece of ground that it falls on, it says it's, it's, it's a rocky soil. So in the, in the Middle East, in the area that were in Palestine, there was a, a thick layer of limestone that was just underneath the surface. And so depending on what part of the, ground, of the country you were in, you might have a lot of topsoil or you might have very little. And the thing is that they wouldn't know because they didn't have great big tractors with giant, you know, giant tills behind it that we, that we could, but one time, anyway, I thought I was going to kill myself on that tractor. I didn't started right. I didn't hit the clutch right. I was, I was little. I was like kind of standing on the clutch. I probably shouldn't have been driving the tractor when I think about it now. I was so little I had to stand on the clutch and whenever I let it go, the tractor popped up in the air, you know, like, like a wheelie. And anyway, I guess it was pretty dangerous. So it just seemed pretty natural at the time. But anyway, they didn't have the machinery. They just had a, something you have to push or you have oxen pulling behind it. And so if you, if you were just kind of had a little, a small layer of topsoil, and you're just skimming the limestone all the way down, the farmers oftentimes wouldn't know it. They wouldn't realize that they don't have a lot of topsoil. So they come through, and they, he, plants this, he plants it. He plants it. And because it's only a thin layer of soil, that is the seed. It, it, the heat is hotter because high, it's higher up in the ground. The sun's baking it. The seed starts to decompose, which is what happens. The warmth and the, the water, everything starts to get it going, and it shoots up super fast. So the whole section of where, that, where he was growing, maybe his whole garden, his whole farm was like that, it would shoot up super fast, and you'd be like, all right, best crop ever. This is going to be amazing. It shoots up super fast, but because it's just a thin layer of topsoil, it doesn't have room for what? the roots to go down deep. So the roots kind of have to spread out. The sun, as it shoots up, shoots all the energy goes to sending the, the seed up instead of going down because it can't go down. Whenever it shoots up out of the ground, the sun is hot, it's baking. It's like South Carolina in July. It is baking on that thing, and it just withers and dies. And so some of us are kind of like that, or maybe you've known people like that who they hear the word, and they just like, man, all of a sudden, like, they're, they're all in. They come to church or they hear, they come to your community group with you or something, and they, they, boom, they take off really fast. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. But it says the heat comes, persecution comes on account of the word. So, so they, they realize, you know what, at some point, they realize, you know, being a Christian is going to cost me something. Do you know that? Being a Christian is going to cost you something. See, 
Jesus Christ is the source of all life and all joy and all peace and all of that. But the way that you discover it is by renouncing everything else that you have found to give you peace and joy and comfort. And that's really hard. That's really hard. That, that's, the, that's the leap of faith that we're talking about. He is all satisfying. It's sort of like me. I've, been, I've changed my diet over the past couple months. And it's had me think differently about food. And quite like yesterday, there's football going on. Man, I just wanted to eat some football food. You know what I'm talking about? I just wanted to pig out. But I, I had to think about, like, no, my health is more important than having some wings right now. My health is more important than having some wings and dousing it in some and ranch dressing or blue cheese. And like, I just can't do that today. That's hard to make that, to, to, to say, hey, but that's comforting. That's, that's joyful. That's good. I enjoy that. But to say, no, something is more joyful. Something is more comforting than that. And that's what happens whenever the seed is in shallow soil. The sun comes and you realize, man, it's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to give up my life. He's going to be the Lord and I'm not going to be. And then it withers. And the next ground he comes to, he pulls the seed out of the bag, he throws it down. It falls among thorns, among weeds. Uh, and it says this, it sprouts up, but the weeds choke it out and it dies. So, uh, again, I'm not a big gardener, but I grew up on, you know, kind of in the middle of farm country and helping my granddad. And, you know, we would have to go out and we'd have to weed. That was, that was terrible because it was hot. Because by then, you, you plant in the spring, but then whenever you're weeding, it's hot, it's May, it, it's late April. You're out there and you are just got a hoe. It's just manual. It's almost, you know, some plants, there's no way to do it automatically. You just have to, you just have to go in there and you have to, take the hoe and you, you, you hoe out, you, you pull out the weeds and you pull them away from the plants so they'll die in the middle of the, in the, middle of the burrow between. But if you don't do that, see, weeds grow really fast and their root system will compete with a little seedling for the nourishment. It'll compete with the seedling for water. It'll compete with the seedling for the, the nutrients and minerals that are in the ground that it needs. And if they grow up, they'll, pre- they'll spread out their, their leaves over the seedlings, and the seedlings won't even get the sun. It chokes them out. It chokes out the sun. It chokes out the water. It chokes out the nutrients. It gets it all. And then it just dies. And Jesus said that's, that's like somebody who hears the word, and the deceitfulness of riches comes in. What does that mean? That means the American dream comes in. The thoughts of the two and a half cars and the two and a half kids and, you know, the four bedroom, five bedroom, six bedroom house. You know, at one point it's 2,500 square foot home. Next minute it's 3,000. Next minute it's 6,000. It's this neighborhood. It's that neighborhood. It's that neighborhood. It's the drive and the desire. It's the closest. It's, and it's not just possessions. It's, it's the, whole, the whole deceitfulness that says, see, that's what's so deceitful about it is that as Americans, we become so accustomed to the idea that, that money and wealth answers problems that, that, we, that just seems to be natural. We don't even question it. 
It's the busyness of life. It's the things, it's all the things that yap at us in our hearts and in our minds and from outside of us all the time saying, this is what your life has to look like. This is what you have to drive. This is what you have to wear. This is what your kids have to go. This is what your kids have to achieve. It's all the deceitfulness. And and before you know it, you see it practically. I can see it in people. Somebody comes in, they're like, God's kind of doing something in their heart. You have a conversation with them. I go out to lunch with them. I have a coffee with them. And you can see kind of something's going on, but they look a little distracted. And the next thing you know, they're gone. They're off the reservation because they are so distracted by everything else that's going on in life. And the point is that Jesus says, I will be Lord of all your life or I will be nothing. And everything else in the world it could be being a mom, it could be being a dad, it could be being a husband, it could fi- be finding a husband, finding a wife. The deceitfulness crowds out and chokes out the life of God that's going on in your heart. It sprouts up, but your, the little sprout cannot stand, it cannot make it against the big boys. Like me in elementary school, it cannot stand against the big boy weeds and it chokes it out and it dies. And the fourth ground that it goes to is, it says it's called good soil. It's that soul that I was talking about where we go through and we had tilled it up and Granite had come through and he put fertilizer down before we did that. So it's all mixed in. It's all nice and healthy. The, the seed falls. The ground is soft. It sinks down deep. You cover it up. It's nice and safe. There's no birds that can come and steal it. There's no weeds around to choke it out. There's nice deep soil so there's, so there's no, it's not on rocky ground. And then it's able to germinate and grow and bring forth a harvest. 30, 60, 100 fold. Like we're talking about when you're supposed to, we're, God wants to abide in him so that we would bear much fruit to the glory of the Father. So that's the way, so that's, first of all, the question is, where are we in that? And the way that we are here in the word, where are you in that? So in one case that we're the ground in this story, but the other case, we're actually the sower. Because somebody has to go out and sow the seeds. Because in case you haven't noticed, Jesus isn't alive on the earth anymore. It's you and me. And so whenever he stood with his disciples at the very end before he returned to his father, where he's seated right now, and he told his small band of disciples, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, carry it everywhere to every nation, every people group. He said that to you and to me. Somebody has to carry the seed. Somebody has to plant the seed. Somebody has to go out. In the story, there's the ground. So you and I are obviously the ground, but there are other grounds out there. There's the seed, and then there's the sower, the one who's planting the seed. So who's going to plant it? Here's a few thoughts, and we'll be done. First of all, the thought is that the seed must be sown. The seed must be planted. Somebody has to plant it. It has to go out, has to go find its way to the ground. It has to, the, the ground or people, so we have to go out there and find ground, and somebody has to actually plant the seed on the ground or in the ground. Who's going to do that? Number two, the second thought I had about this is that the seed is good, the seed is powerful. In this story, we see there's nothing wrong with the seed. The problem is what? 
the different grounds that it comes on. The seed is good. If it finds, if it, even, even on bad soil, rocky soil, in with the thorns, it does what it's supposed to do. It, it breaks down and it germinates. It grows some, some roots, it grows some leaves, it pops up above, above the ground. It does it, every, it does what it's supposed to do wherever it goes. The seed is good and it's powerful. In uh, Mark 4, you don't have to turn there, Mark 4, Jesus is given another parable that's agricultural. And he said, uh, verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises at night. He, I'm sorry, he, and he, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So the, the seed is in itself, it's good, it's mysterious, right? Like we don't, like, like we, we've made like better, cooler, more hybrid seeds, whether you think they're actually better or not. They're, they're resistant to drought, they're resistant to to. Uh, insects and all kinds of you know diseases and whatnot but the it's still we can control we can control some irrigation we control all kinds of things but still it's in the seed is the power and the seed is the word of God it's the good news of what who, who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf is the good news that the kingdom of God has come it has, it has broken into this world and the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of light has broken in the seed is good, it's powerful. The seed transforms the ground from the inside out. It turns it into something new. So a seed falls in the ground. It's just like that, my, my granddad's garden, it was just like a field the rest of the year. Just a blank field. But all of a sudden, you plant the seeds, you come back a month later, there's plants, things are different. It's producing. It's, it's producing fruit. It's producing food. It's, it's one point it flowers, it grows, it takes on a, a life of its own. That, that tree that's planted by the water that we've been talking about in Psalm 1, that tree creates a whole new ecosystem. A, plant, a seed falls into the ground, it sprouts up, it grows. The seed, the, that tree changes the, the ecosystem in that whole area. All of a sudden there's, there's shade, there's a place for, for bugs and birds and animals, and it produces fruit. It can change and cause all kinds of all kinds of things, it, it changes the ground from, from what it was into something new. It changes it from the inside out. Number, thought number three, the seed must be sown indiscriminately. So if, in this story, as we're thinking about that we're the sowers, that somebody has to go out through and sow the seed, the point is that the sower sows it on all four types of ground. I mean, Jesus doesn't tell us that the, the sower, the planter, like doesn't know that it fell on the path. It doesn't say he doesn't know that it, that it fell on stony ground. It doesn't say he doesn't know that it fell among, so, among thorns. He casts it out there all over the place. Because see, the point is that each of those grounds, they, they can be sneaky. Like the, the one that shoots up super fast, like you're like, oh wow, we got something here. It's the one that dies the, the quickest. But he cast the ground on all kinds of soil. So as we think about the, word, the, the seed is the word of God, that we're supposed to be around casting on different ground, that it's not your my choice to decide this is good ground. I'm going to hold back my seed and, and wait, uh, I'm going to sow it here, but here's this seed. This must be bad ground. I'm not going to sow it here. He says, no, the power is in the seed. The sower's job is to get it on the ground. Get it on the ground. Get it to ground. Take the seed and throw it out. Put it out there. 
and don't worry about where it falls. He'll take care of that part. And so as we think about it, and that we're, that we're supposed to be sowing the seed, we must be sow it indiscriminately. Not thinking about, not trying to discern, not, not just saying, okay, this is a good place. I'm going to share with this guy. I'm going to invite this guy to church. I'm gonna, but I'm not going to do it over here because he doesn't look like he's open. You'll be surprised. The seed that looks the best, the ground that looks the best, might not be the best place. So whatever here, you never know what will happen. Thought number four is sowing or planting requires purpose and intentionality. Planting requires purpose and intentionality. If somebody's going to go out and plant, it doesn't happen by accident. You don't like have seeds in your pocket and they just kind of fall out the holes and you, you planted a, a garden accidentally. You actually have to take the effort the purpose of I'm going to go out and I'm going to plant seed. I'm going to put my hand in the seed and I'm going to scatter it. I'm going to do this. And that's what we have to do. We have to intentionally, as we go out throughout the day, as we go into our community, as we go into our workplace and our neighborhood, we have to intentionally and purposefully sow the seed. It doesn't just sneak out. You have to do it on purpose. So there's different ways of sowing. As we're talking about the, the seed is the word of God, the ground are people's lives. So one way you can do it is personally sharing the gospel with somebody, right? I mean, somebody at work, a family member, a neighbor. Uh, I was really excited uh, a little wise, a little ways back. Uh, Kramer had uh, an intern. It was pretty cool. He's a, he's a pretty big deal. I don't know if you know that, but he had an intern, and he he took a, he took an afternoon. Like they were talking about church and stuff, and. Like, it somehow ended up talking about church and talking about how he was a Christian. And he took a few minutes and he, like, pulled out on the whiteboard on his office at work and said, here's the gospel. Kind of laid it out for him. Nothing's happened since then, but he, he threw a seed out there. So that's one way you can do it. I know that's the most intimidating thing to do. But again, it's not your, your call to decide where to, where to sow the seed whether the seed's going to germinate. Your job is just to throw it out there. The second way to do it is you can invite people into an environment where the seed will be sown. So you can invite them to church. Invite somebody to church. We don't want you to invite people to Doxa simply because we want to grow a bigger group. We want you to invite people to Doxa because when somebody comes to a church that preaches the gospel or comes into a community of people that believe the gospel, they come in and that's the pathway, sort of like a funnel. It's a pathway for them to, to hear the word, and then the word leads them to Jesus. That's the, that's the goal. You don't want to invite people to Doxa because we want a bigger group. We want to invite people to Doxa because we want people to meet Jesus. We want to invite people to your community group, invite them to uh, come out and hang out with us, and we're going to be tailgating at Coastal, not because we want to grow a big crowd or have a mailing list, but because we want to invite them. Jesus, he's the point. Then the third way is by showing the new kingdom in your words and in your deeds. So personally sharing the gospel, inviting people into an environment where the seed will be sown. And the other way is showing the new kingdom in your words and deeds. Really, that's really just tilling the ground. The seed of the gospel still has to be planted. A few more thoughts and we'll be done. Number five, there are, there are many obstacles to germination and growth. We already covered that. There are is always a response that occurs when the seed is planted. Think about each of those categories. One, it falls on the hard ground. The ground is hard. That's an obstacle. The other is that it's going to be stolen away. The second ground it falls on, 
It's shallow, it's rocky, it shoots up real fast, but the sun bakes it and burns it out. That's the, the persecution that comes. They, they realize they're going to have to lose something in order to follow him. The next way is the cares of the world, the, the deceitfulness of riches. They come in and they choke it out. It's just, the thing that's so deceitful about that, again, is that it's just everyday life. We don't need to see it. That's choking it out. Number six, the sower doesn't control the conditions of the ground. The sower doesn't control the conditions. So in, in modern farming, we can control a lot. You can have better, like more perfect seed that's impervious to disease and drought. You can have a giant irrigation system that irrigates everything. But we still can't control whether it's going to be a really hot summer or if it's going to be a really wet winter, there's only so many things we can control. And you can't get down there and coach that seed, eat seed one by one, and say, hey, come on, buddy, let's grow up. Let's build a harvest. Come on, let's go. You can't coach it up. The seed is just going to do what it's kind of a mysterious thing in the ground. We can till the soil, we can irrigate it, but in the end it's a mysterious thing whether it's going to grow or not. We can't control those conditions. That's up to God. Our job, again, is to what? Is to sow the seed. And the last thing, the last thought is that the source of the growth is mysterious. The source of the growth is mysterious. Paul, whenever he was writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he said, uh, said, I planted, that's the gospel, Apollos, who was another minister, he came and he watered, but it was God who gave the increase, or God who gave the growth. God's the one that causes the growth. We can sow. We can try to water the seed. We can try to help it along. We can try to uh, live lives that help tilt the soil in people's hearts so that they're open to it. But we don't control whether it grows or not. It's mysterious. So what does that mean for us as sowers of of the word? It should mean this. It should take some of the pressure off of us. Because if something's going to germinate or grow or not, it doesn't depend upon you. It doesn't depend upon whether you're brilliant. It doesn't depend on whether you live in a perfect life. The power is in the seed. It's not in the sower. The sower is just kind of a, a supporting cast member in this. It's God who germinates the seed and causes the growth and causes the increase. It should, it should, it should encourage us. It should motivate us. The seed has to be sown. We sow it indiscriminately, but it's God who causes the increase. And it's him that gets the glory. That's the point of casting the seed. I don't know if you, have you ever experienced like inviting somebody to church or t- sharing the, your, the, the gospel with somebody and they believe it and they respond? Have you ever encountered that feeling? Have you ever, have you ever encountered that before? It's pretty amazing. It's pretty addictive. And you realize like a lot of stuff that I do in my life doesn't matter a whole lot. That's eternal. Like, when you get five years, ten years down the road, and that person's still walking with Jesus, whether you're still around them or not, they might have moved away, they might have gone to college or gone somewhere, and they're, like, have a family, and they're ministering, and they're a part of their church, and they're doing things, and you look over there, and you see how they're a tree now, and they're bearing fruit, and you say, I had a part in that. That is incredibly addictive. And you see how God gets the glory. So we want to be a kind of people who indiscriminately go out and scatter seed intentionally, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, and see that God gets the glory by getting the increase. So we want to be plants 
that plant. That's what we want to be. Um, uh, as we prepare for communion, I want you guys to think about two things as we finish the, the Deep and Wide series. I, I want you to think of one area in your life that you, that you know that you need to grow in. What's one thing in life that you would like, that you would like to grow in? It could be a character trait. It could be uh, a spiritual discipline. It could be reading the Bible or praying or uh, it, could be, uh, it, could be, it could be whatever it is in your mind. I want to leave it open. Just pick one thing. You might think there's a million things, but just pick one area in your life that you would like to grow in. And we as a church are going to collectively focus on that one thing to grow in this coming year. We're not going to try to tackle everything because sometimes when I, try to, when I look at my life and I say, all right, what do I need to grow in? I feel like a, a mosquito in a nudist camp. I just don't know where to start. But you start by one, one thing at a time. One thing at a time. That's how you grow. And then you get down the, are you guys tracking with me? You don't know where to start. <laughs> you, you don't know where to start. But, you, but, but you, you feel overcome because you don't know where to, where to even begin. But you start doing one thing, one thing. And if we as a small community got nine months down the road and you have grown in your one thing and you've grown in one thing and you've grown in one, one thing, you're going to see a lot of growth together. And it's going to spur us on. So I want you to be thinking about one area to grow in. And I want, to think you, I want you to think about one place or one person to sow in. One place or one person. It might, might be a person that's in your family or a coworker or somebody that you know, like, like you just like, man, some, they're on my heart or they just seem open or, or something. There's one person or one place. One place. Uh, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, maybe it's work. Sometimes I, I, got, I went into work years ago, like, thinking I'm, I'm going to come in here, I'm going to share my faith, and then fast forward 16 years down the road, and you just kind of get lulled to sleep by being around the same people all the time. But just think about one place. It could be family, it could be a workplace, it could be a restaurant. Think about one place that you want to sow, one, pers- one thing you want to grow in, and one place you want to sow. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.